FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. Our guest tonight is David Floyd. He's a professor at Charleston Southern University, uh, assistant professor of English. And uh, David is the author of Street Urchins, Degenerates, and Sociopaths, Orphans of Late Victorian and Edwardian Fiction, possibly one of the greatest names for any book ever. It it works very hard. and has delivered papers on Gothic and medieval literature in the U.S., England, and Scotland. More recently, his research has focused on 19th century imperial discourse and the construction of identities, the development of 19th century psychological theory, changing perspectives of the family in Victorian culture and African history. And he informed me the other night that he's also working on a second Ph.D. in cultural history, uh, which... Uh, sort of feeds more into his interest in monsters and Bigfoot. And you are one of the more distinguished guests we've had on the show. I'm almost intimidated. Like, I, I almost don't want to speak again the show and just let Mark handle the entire thing. <laughs> oh, what? My, my southern accent should, um, should level any, any of that. And, and I'm I'm glad you're bringing that up, like, right off the bat, that the, the, the southern thing. I have to ask you, I... I spent a lot of time down south when I was a kid, and I still do today. And and something that I don't understand, and I'd like you to tell me how you feel about it, um, shrimp and grits. Yes. Do you enjoy that? I do. I, I love grits, um, and I love shrimp. So, yeah, those those together. Um, is, is that a very southern thing? I don't know. It's real popular here in, in Charleston. Right. Um, now, my wife, who is from Iowa... Um, does not eat grits, so it's, uh, I guess it's a, a southern thing. Okay, Mark, have you had shrimp and grits? No, I've not had shrimp and grits. I've had uh, grits and gravy. Okay, and I've had cheer wine. Okay, once we get into like North Carolina, we'll stop Pepsi and start and looking for cheer wine. Yeah, is my son what? is big into cheer wine now. Okay, since so- our last stop in the south. I'm assuming this isn't. I mean, Andy's drinking it. I'm assuming it's non-alcoholic, unless something, <laughs> unless yeah. something goes horribly wrong it, the second yeah. you leave Ohio. Like a... <laughs> <laughs> the rules are different here. <laughs> All right, what's the legal drinking age down south? Like ten? Nine. Ten, ten. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what county you're in. I think how far out you are. You're probably not far off. Um, actually, a great deal of my father's side of the family is from North Carolina. So, and and my parents owned a historical Civil War bookstore. So when I was cool. growing up, we did uh, book shows almost every weekend of my life. Most of them in the southern United States. So I spent a lot of time in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Tennessee, and Georgia, and all over down there. So that's a great story. That's cool. Uh, yeah, barbecue. I'm a big barbecue guy, 
And um, so anyway, I, I have to know, I'm going over your bio today. Mark, Mark sent me a text the other day that said that um, he thought your bio was just incredible. And I was thinking the same thing. But I have to know, how does, because I'm not seeing a direct correlation between the things you, you are uh, acquainted with and skilled in and like Bigfoot. So how does Bigfoot come into all of this? Gotcha. So um, shall I just kind of say like sort of how I got into sure. Bigfoot yeah. Yeah. Stuff? Yeah. What um, got you into, what got you into Bigfoot? And then we'll, I guess we'll go a little I, more broad and talk about how it plays into your, yeah, your, yeah, I, study. Think it, I, I think it all comes together. Um, so I think the first exposure I had to Bigfoot was watching um, Sasquatch, the legend of Bigfoot, um, in the theater when I was probably eight years old. And um, I remember very clearly seeing the Patterson-Gimlin um, footage in the theater. Um, that's really the only part of the film I remember. But um, I just remember how it kind of freaked me out as an eight-year-old, um, much in the same way that the... Um, Planet of the Apes movies freaked me out, but I, I was just certain that you know simians were going to take over the world, and um, how that's connected with Bigfoot, I'm, I'm not sure. But um, but at any rate, um, you know, I went on to be fa a fan of um, documentaries on cryptids, but Bigfoot type stuff, especially um, you know, watched In Search of, of course, and um, Monster Quest, and you know, all these shows that we've all watched, you know. Um, not really paranormal stuff, I'm not really into the ghost thing and all, but but especially Bigfoot type stuff and all. And um, so I went on to, to major in English and become an English professor. And my area of specialization, and, and I mention this because it does circle around to, to Bigfoot um, eventually, uh, but my area of specialization is um, genre fiction of the Victorian fin de siècle, which is imperial literature, gothic literature, children's fiction, adventure fiction, and all of the late 19th century. Um, and this is people like Robert Louis Stevenson, um, H.G. Wells, H. Ryder Haggard, J.M. Barry, um, all these writers that have written stuff that's very much with us today still. Uh, stuff, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Treasure Island, uh, War of the Worlds, mm. and stuff like that. That's really still in our sort of popular consciousness. But at any rate, the Victorians have been kind of saddled with this stereotype of, of being really kind of uptight um, and, and sort of prudish. Um, but man, did they write some strange stuff. And um, a lot of it has to do with monsters or some type of monstrosity um, and all that. So um, really my literary studies have always been kind of in that world of of sort of the supernatural or the gothic type of stuff. You know, So it's, it's not too much of a jump. From um, from the stuff I write about and read to to sort of thinking about monsters in general, um, you know, walking around in the woods or in the backyard, um, and also kind of growing up growing up in um, in coastal South Carolina, uh, there's just lots of folklore and ghost stories and vestiges of the Civil War and all this. You know, this the past is is really present here, um, but at any rate. Um, I when I completed my, my PhD, I, I sort of had this momentum going because um, I love to do research. I love to uh, write and all that. And in fact, my kids make fun of me because if I'm ever if I ever have free time, I go to the 
library at the College of Charleston, which is downtown. This is a beautiful three-story, magnificent place. And, um, you know, I'm the nerd that goes there on a Saturday when I could be playing outside, I guess. But um, anyway, I, you know, I sort of had this momentum going. And um, I wanted to still work on something. You know, I wanted to write it something, maybe another book or something. Um, but I didn't want to reinvent the wheel and do something literary. Um, so my research kind of took this historical turn. And um, even when I teach now, when I teach literature, um, I always do so, um, kind of think about the cultural context of the work. Um, you know, what's what's going on historically around that work? You know, what compels the author to write that in the first place? Um, so, you know, if you've got somebody like Shakespeare writing in the 1500s during the Protestant Reformation, you could be beheaded for being Catholic. He's got a certain set of issues that he wants to address. Whereas if you're talking about Stephen King writing in the, the 1980s about the disintegration of the American family, you know, these guys are writing on two very different registers. And that disparity interests me, you know, how cultures kind of represent themselves uh, through their literary works and artworks and folklore and that type of thing. Um, so at the same time, um, I, I remember the day I went to the library and I, I thought, you know, I don't really know what I want to work on, but I, I, I don't want it to necessarily be literary, but I'm not really sure. And I found myself in front of... Um, all these books about medieval literature and I started kind of flipping through them and there were monsters all over the place and so I started to sort of delve into researching um, sort of the perceptions of monstrosity and monsters and all um, through history and how that's changed you know so um, you know you can have something like the, the Frankenstein film that came out the, the first one with Boris Karloff you know in like the 1930s or something where the monster is something to be feared and destroyed um, whereas you have something like Hotel Transylvania that you know just came out in the last five years or so, um, where the monster is, is really celebrated, and that that difference is valued, you know. And these are two very different ways of looking at monsters, and that's so, you know, I I sort of took that idea and started to apply it to this this love of Bigfoot that I have, you know, and, and so, sort of see like you know, how has this being that's been around for a while. Um, been perceived in culture and all. Um, so that sort of led to the two things that I'm working on right now. Um, one is what seems to be becoming a book. Um, the on, like I said, the perceptions and of mon monsters and the depiction of monstrosity and all, and how that's changed in Western culture. Um, you know, I'll be talking at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference in May, and um, that talk is going to be largely about that, um, where you have like the hairy man and the wild man and the green man and Bigfoot and all these these manifestations of the same type of creature throughout, you know, over a thousand years of literary history or cultural history. Um, and at the same time, um, I started this hmm. new PA. It's really applicable to the studies of Bigfoot in that um, because my, my concern is um, folklore and legends and that kind of thing and how cultures kind of um, articulate themselves through monsters and all. Um, so that's all good. So I hope that, that all my interests can kind of dovetail in this new um, degree. What's really cool is I, um, I was emailing back and forth with my, my supervisor, um, my dissertation supervisor, and 
I was telling him that I was going to be going to Ohio and, and talking about Bigfoot and all. He, he did not know about Bigfoot, but I explained to him what it was. Nobody I've talked to. Um, and this is a school in Finland, by the way. Um, so I'll be able to go to Finland a couple of times. Um, wow. But nobody in Finland had heard of Bigfoot that I've talked to. But he just happens to be working on research on um, like wild children, like feral children in the 19th century. Um, so I can't wait to kind of talk face to face with him and see what he's. You know, he didn't even know that I was, you know, interested in Bigfoot and this kind of stuff. You know, so, um, so I believe that's the beginning of an interesting relationship there academically. You know, to kind of, you know, he, he and I both have written books on the 19th century, and now we both seem to have this interest in um, hairy creatures <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the history. So. Um, Anyway, does that sort of answer the question about how? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I gotta know though, um, right off the bat, what what do you think of this phenomenon? What what do you attribute it to? Do you think there's a real undiscovered primate roaming about? Do you have an opinion it one way or the other? I will quote um, Seth Breedlove, whose um, podcast <laughs> I listen to frequently, who said that um, there's se- you know I don't know, but there seems to be enough evidence to to recommend going to look for it. Um, and, you know, if, if something is so consistent um, throughout at least Western culture, I, I'm sure probably Eastern culture as well, um, you know, like the Yaren in China and all that, um, if something is that consistent, then there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know if, it, if there were never any sightings and it was just this thing in folklore, uh, then I would assume it was just just that it had some kind of um, psychological impetus behind it, or or whatever. Um, but you have reliable people like Kathy Strain who swears at you know to seeing two of them run up a hill, you know. And you know I think that there's there's a a good number of credible witnesses that maintain that they have seen them, you know. And I unless all these people throughout history are colluding in some secret chat room, I, there seems to be cause to, to think it, that there's something to it. Does that well, sort of answer the question? But oh, not yeah. The question? yeah. And I'm sure Mark has a question, but before I let him speak, um, in all this research you've done on you know this f- folklore and the uh, – Middle Ages, all that kind of stuff. Did you find anything that that you directly, automatically thought Bigfoot or anything that you attributed to that kind of, you know, that kind of creature? Yeah, there's the evidence of it from ancient Greece all the way up to where we are right now. Um, in in just about every culture that that I've looked at, um, mm-hmm. there's been some some kind of a hairy <laughs> hairy something, yeah. um, you know, and um, you know, they as I'll talk about in the in the talk in in, in Ohio, they there is they serve purposes. They they have a cultural functionality, um, whether it's to you know in, in ancient Greece, um, where you've got this sort of seat of culture, and there's this sort of birthplace of logic and philosophy and all that, and everything's sort of structured and very um, coordinated. But then beyond that, you have the barbarian hordes that are, you know, threatening to come in and all, and these are always represented as hairy, barbaric um, beings, you know. But beyond that, there's reports of still in that in ancient um, 
Greek and Roman texts of wild man or hairy men, you know, not necessarily just, um, not just the barbarians or whatever, but, but actually creatures, you know. What, like what? I don't know that, I mean, Mark might be aware of that. I had no idea about Greek. I mean, the, as far back as I knew was like the Woodwos. So is, did they have a specific name for, for this in Greek, Greek mythology? I don't know. Um, that I'd have to look up. Okay. Um, but there's, you know, you've got Greece and Rome, um, and then you have even, you know, if you go past that to like patristic writers, you know, this 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 generation after Christ and the apostles, you know, they talk, and whether or not it's based on a physical being or if it's just a theological thing of don't be like the wild man, <laughs> um, you know, it's mm. it's still there. Mm -hmm. um, and it's certainly portrayed in art, you know, from ancient Greece on. You know, you can find um, sculptures and paintings and all from way, way back, you know, of these hairy creatures and all. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's fascinating to me. And to, to kind of um, sort of append something to your question a minute ago, you know, what did I think about this phenomenon? I think that... I think I'm, I was pleasantly surprised at the, the range of issues in this phenomenon. It's not just a bunch of guys looking for a thing out in the woods. You know, there's you know this whole subculture. There's sort of a language, you know, that you you know that they have, um, and it's just you know stuff like you know do Bigfoot people think UFO people are a bunch of wackos? You know that kind of thing, and it's just there's there's a depth to it that I did not know was there that I've been pleasantly surprised. You know, it's, there's, there's the scientific angle that's probably the most obvious, you know. You know, we've got empirical evidence uh, that suggests at least there's something there. But then you've got, um, you know, all these cultural implications behind it um, and psychological implications behind it. And, you know, it's multi, it, just about any discipline you can think of can be applied to this. And that's, that's the really surprising and, and satisfying thing to me is you can approach it from five or six different angles and and yield fruit from it, uh, and I think that's that's really an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. Mark, why don't you hop in? Sure. David, you said that when you kind of ended up in front of the medieval section, there were all kinds of monsters that sort of uh, sprang from the pages. In addition to the sort of Bigfoot-style creatures, what were some of the other monsters that really grabbed your attention out of the literature? Can you hear me okay? I kind of jumped a little. Um, uh, dragons, for sure. Um, Serpent-type creatures um, tend to uh, come along in that kind of literature. Um, they had, you know, in the medieval period, they had these, uh, what they called bestiaries, which are you know, lists of fabulous creatures, you know, whether they're real or not, you know, and you've got the, the usual suspects like, you know, the unicorn or probably shown in the things, doing stuff like playing guitars and um and being mischievous. Um, there's one of, of these primates um, standing around a like a, a barrel drinking beer. Um, you know stuff like that. Um, so yeah, there's there's all kinds of, all kinds of strange. The medieval time was medieval period was really strange. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot. So there are lots of um, creatures. Um, whether there's any, whether 
many of them were real. I'm not sure, um, but they did. They had a fanciful take on on um, creature. Hmm. That's for sure. That everybody kind of knows yeah. about, of course, is um, again a Grendel from from Beowulf, uh, which also features Grendel's mother and then a, a dragon too. So. In the bio that we have for the Bigfoot Conference coming up here in Ohio, it also touches on the fact that you're working on a master's in criminology and in applying criminological theory to Bigfoot research. Can you kind of unpack that for us and uh, see what some of the implications would be? Because that, that's fascinating sounding to me. It, well, I... Um... I started that program, and um, then I decided to go the the, the second PhD route. But it's it's kind of cool because the the two, I took uh, three or four classes in criminology, and many of them were based on um, criminological theory, um, which takes a look at stuff like um, you know where the victim was. There's stuff like uh, routine activities theory, which looks at not just what the perpetrator was doing, what what led to him being a thief or whatever, or a murderer or whatever, but also what is the victim? What is the, what does the victim do daily that puts him or her in this uh, capacity to be murdered or robbed or whatever? Um, and then what, you know, what is the sort of the social context of all this um, that that um, contributes to crime happening? You know. And I thought, well, that wouldn't it be kind of neat to take something like that and apply it to like a Bigfoot sighting. Um, you know, and I, I'm not really sure um, how specific I could get with that, um, other than it helps to be in the woods, um, <laughs> maybe at night. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And you know, and it's it's hard, to, but I, I I wonder at least, um, and I don't I don't know if I'm prepared to do it, but I wonder if if there's enough theory in that kind of stuff where you can there's a predictability about stuff like where crime occurs and that type of thing. If you could apply that to the search for Bigfoot or something like that, and and come to a way where you could at least come up with maybe a an algorithm that says, okay, Bigfoot should be here at this time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so really, what I got out of out of those that brief period was um not only that the idea of of the the sort of science of behavior um, that's really interesting to me, but also it. It sort of this. It helped me to understand scientific inquiry um, in a way that we don't do in the humanities. You know, in, in an English class, you can have 25 students, and they all have 25 different opinions of the same story. And if they can prove mm -hmm. it with textual evidence, then they're all right. Whereas if you're in a, you know, more of a science class, like a, a criminal justice class or whatever, you can't just say, well, people from a certain area are all criminals. You know. You, you need to have a study and, and prove it and that kind of thing. And that, that type of um, anal analysis is not something that I was used to doing. And it was a completely different side of my brain, which is, which is why I wanted to take those classes in the first place. Because, I, like I said, I was, I'd sort of done the thing with literary I tried that and, and took some of those classes. And I enjoyed them. But then when the opportunity for the, the cultural history thing came along, I thought, well, I could, I could maybe throw Bigfoot into that too and maybe um, yeah. get some fun with it. Yeah. So, well, um, and listening to you describe that, the thing that 
is very intriguing is it sort of describes two streams of what you might call Bigfoot studies, you know, one being anecdotal evidence and folklore and, uh, you know, sort of a community tales that are told over time and how those are regarded as, in a sense, as a shared truth. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, the hardcore evidence folks. And um, sometimes those two things go together and sometimes they don't, but they're held in tension as we kind of <laughs> explore the topic. And right. you're always sort of ping-ponging back and forth between here's a track evidence and why we think that it is a legitimate foot and not a not a fake. And then you go back to somebody's account of something that happened to them or someone they know. And yeah. you find yourself in the middle of that all the time. And that's what's cool to me about that is, you know, it's um, not to disparage any of the sciences and all, but, you know, rather than just studying how fish move in the water or something like that, you know, there's not, you're not going to have um, anecdotal evidence. Um, that you, it's sort of a, mi a nice mixture between scientific inquiry and, and storytelling, you know, and, and sort of detecting the truth within those two is, is um, I guess, what we're trying to do, you know. And I love, I love that, like the multifacetedness of it, if that's a word. Um, I can, I'm an English major, so I can make it work. Um, <laughs> the, the, just the different aspects of it, I think, like I said, is what was really pleasantly surprising to me. Uh, when, once I, you know, I, I mean, I'd watched these documentaries and stuff forever, but as far as, it, you know, it's only been in the last couple of months that I really sat down and started reading books about it and write, trying to writing about to write about it and you know put together a presentation for it and stuff and I think of aspects to it. It's fun. It's cool. Yeah. All right. Let's let's get into uh, talking about some of the reports from your area because you're you're in yes. South Carolina and. Uh, you were uh, messaging me back and forth on Facebook that you had found some sightings in that area. And this is actually an area that um, Mark and I, I think we talked at least a couple times about doing a show specifically about South Carolina, didn't we? Or that whole yeah. area. Yeah, yeah that definitely. region. Mm -hmm. And cool. uh, hadn't quite got to it yet. So this will kind of be our opportunity to broach that uh, southern coastal kind of Bigfoot Um <laughs> So let's get into a little bit of that. And then I know Mark is absolutely dying to talk uh, Lizard Man with you. Lizard Man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, start us off. What do you got? What do you so, got down okay, there? Okay, so I have one from Charleston County, mm -hmm. um, three from Horry County, mm -hmm. and um, three from Berkeley County. And we don't have to do them all, but there, there's a few that I definitely want to do. I don't, I don't know. But the um, the first one... Yeah, and I, the reason I, I think I told you, the reason I chose these particular counties is because I've lived there or do live there, and these are all kind of familiar places to me. Mm -hmm. um, so just for selfish reasons, I chose these counties. Um, although I have to, to um, give a shout-out to my wife, who was talking to me this morning, and she was like, did you look in Dorchester County? 
And I was like, well, no, not really. And she was like, she dropped the, the, um, the word squatchy on me. And I'm just and she said, well, those are really squatchy places. You know, I was like, I love you even more now. <laughs> um, so I thought that was cool. But uh, yeah. at any rate, um, so this one from Charleston County, this is from June of um, 1970. Um, the nearest town to this is Somerville, which is where my, my in-laws live. Um, now, Somerville is kind of a big, small town now. Um, I think um, I think Tom Cruise and Oprah have houses in Somerville, of all places. Um, wow. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's right. Um, but anyway, um, it, rural Somerville is very rural. It's it's nothing but woods and all. And like I said, my in-laws live out there, um, you know, on like five or six acres. And every time we go out there, I expect to see something walk across, <laughs> walk across the road. You know? um, but anyway, this is interesting. The, um, the witness, um, the, edit the nearest road to the sighting um, was edited per request of the witness. You know, it's one of those cases where they did not evidently want a bunch of yahoos walking around with flashlights at night looking for stuff on their land. Um, but anyway, she says, um, I'm, 40, I'm 47 years old. And I can still remember what I saw and smelled just like it was yesterday. I can also remember the fear. I, that's like the beginning of a great <laughs> short story. It's mm -hmm. so great. That's like Boggy Creek or something. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I remember yeah. what I saw, to, saw and smelled. Yeah. Um, so the kid, she and some of the other kids were playing outside. Um, she said, I began to notice an awful smell, like something dead, a real overpowering smell. The place where I lived had a chain link fence around the property, which was about one to two acres. We were on the back side of the property, which had woods behind it. You could see red eyes glowing in the dark, but I could not say how tall it was. I do know that, I do know that it was taller than a human being. It just stood there and watched us. Uh, she said it was seen on many occasions, and we could always smell it before we saw it. I, I love that. Um, and here's where it takes a kind of creepy turn, as though that's not sufficient enough. Um, she said there were several neighborhood dogs at the time that were found with their uh, skulls crushed, um, but no one knew who or what had killed them. And, of course, this makes me think of Minerva Monster or, yeah. or Momo or one of those guys that, that kills dogs or walks around with them. Um, and then she goes on to say one night she and a friend uh, decided to stay in a trailer at the back of the property, which seems perfectly logical um, at this point. Um <laughs> And she talks about something begins to beat on the side of the trailer. Um, whatever this thing was, uh, walked around the trailer and hit it on it and tried to get in. We could see its shadow every time it came around. That's a great image. Um, it was the longest night of my life. It continued just until daytime. Um, another night, uh, we were awakened by a loud thud on uh, the side of the house. My brother came out screaming because it was at his window. And there's a later account of um, the same creature evidently down the street uh, looking in a, a young girl's window, um, too. And she says, it got to where we uh, we quit playing outside because the kids were scared. Hmm. Um, and then finally, the, the final time she sees it, um, just has these great little details in it. Um, she said, I did see it one time after that. It was probably October of that same year. I had gone out to the pump house and turn the, to turn the light off the well because we kept it on the pump at night to keep the water from freezing. It, and it's those little details about sort of this bucolic life, you know, that, that are so genuine to me and that make these things seem believable, you know, that she throws in that little detail of this is why the light was on, you know, I love that kind of stuff. Um, and she says, I, I saw in the early morning sunshine this creature that looked like an ape 
standing at the other side of the fence watching me. It was tall, had dark brown hair, and it had a sloping forehead that looked like some kind of ape. I could see the eye, I could not see the eyes because they were hooded, um, which I assume means he has a low brow or he's rocking the hoodie. Um, it was standing there, just kind of rocking side to side. Um, I can still see it as plain as day in my mind right now as I write this. Um, I think that is a great um, account. I think it's really cool. Yeah. She, whoever wrote that, she I guess she wrote that. I mean, that's that's beautiful writing, actually. Yeah, the details are, are great. And it's it's not as grammatically challenged as some of these other accounts that I run into. Right, um, right. So... The, what year was this? Uh, 1970. So this would have been three years after. They all had that. They all they all did the same. They, these Bigfoots were there was some sort of trend going on with Bigfoots in during the 70s where they were like murdering, like mercilessly murdering dogs, and then they all had the hooded kind of because that's the, the same description Minerva Monster has or Momo. Is that right? Where, yeah, where you can't make out the eyes exactly. I mean, at night, the family, the Catons, could see the eyes of Minerva Monster glow, is what they said. But, but the otherwise, you couldn't make it out because the kind of hooded look. I mean, That's like cool. you said, I mean, unless they were all wearing hoodies, which I, is possible too. I guess I, I don't know. <laughs> who, who knows what? Who am I to know? Taste are. Yeah. Um, okay, so these other three are from um, Horry County, which is H O R R Y. Um, Usually improperly pronounced "hori," um, <laughs> which is it's rude. There, there could be some areas that are "hori," but um, but they pronounce "ori." But anyway, um, I was just waiting for an opportunity to use that joke. Um, <laughs> you saw as soon as you saw that you had <laughs> you had sightings from there. You're like, oh man, I'm gonna get to use my "hori" joke. <laughs> so um, so this first one is um from April 2007, so this is fairly, fairly recent. And this is on a, um, a near Little River, uh, which is on the border of North and South Carolina. And little, the, the Highway 17 that runs through this um, is usually really heavily populated, or traveled rather, uh, but there's some places there um, where it's just nothing but road, and if you veer off, you go down you know, into the swamp kind of thing. Um, Another um, sort of interesting thing about Little River, um, and I used to go through there a lot um, to Ocean Isle in North Carolina. And um, but the cool thing about Little River um, 20 years ago was that was where people would go get tattoos. If you lived in South Carolina, you couldn't get a tattoo, <laughs> so uh, Little River was the place to go. There Wait, was um, well, I couldn't. You just there were no tattoo parlors, I or I think that there was a law against getting a tattoo in South Carolina. Um, but I'll have to I'll have to see about that, but I think that's the case. But but you could go to um I think it was called like borderline tattoo parlor because it was literally like fifty feet from the border. <laughs> of the so that's where you go to do that. Um, but anyway, uh, all right. So um, it's great. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, all right. So this guy says um. About two weeks ago, I was walking on Highway 17 at about 9, uh, 9 p.m. to the nearest store. Already credible, right? Um, I heard a scattering in the bush. Um, I figured it was a deer or even a wild hog. And I always love when people say what they think. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. But, um, 
I heard an even louder scatter in the bushes, 10 to 20 feet uh, in the woods. I panicked and quickly ran back closer to the edge of the highway. I was too afraid to run, so I walked quickly. Did we just freeze? What happened? Hold on. Look, see what was following me, and it stopped too. So it mm -hmm. seemed to be like paralleling him, I guess. Um, as I approached an area that was partially lit by a company that had an outside light on, I could see at the edge of the woods a creature that appeared to be squatting down with its long arms in front of it. Um, the hair looked to be maybe five inches long and a light reddish color. Now, this is an interesting thing about the Horry County. Um, accounts because they all are very similar. They all, all have this kind of orangutan thing of, of long arms and this kind of orangey hair and typically this kind of shock of hair at the top like they have, you know. Um, and he says, I believe it might have been a skunk ape, which I thought was, I didn't know everybody knew that term. Um, and then an odd footnote um, about this sighting um, in the follow-up to the investigation, uh, the witness had a comment concerning uh, that he f had a feeling the bipedal was lonely and felt the creature may have been trying to toy with him as he was walking along to the store. Uh, so, wow, it's it's just a lonely orangutan looking for yeah. a friend. I mean, either <laughs> that or he was trying to find the uh, the tattoo parlor. It's, it's one or the other. He got lost. Maybe. He got um, lost. <laughs> he was following the creek and. Uh, <laughs> I thought the border was this way. <laughs> but, you know, David, the thing that I really like about the beginning of that report is sort of the irrationality of the response, you know, where he says, I was too afraid to run, so I walked quickly. I mean, as strange as that sounds, it also rings true. You know, in the moment, right. when you're terrified, you don't do rational things. You do... You do things that freak yourself out sometimes. Isn't that, yeah, isn't that great? Um, yeah. And it seems so, like, um, you know, I, I got to know, though, David, like when you're looking, when you're kind of looking at these reports, do you notice things like that? I mean, with your analytical mind and uh, the criminology background, uh, I mean, things like that have to spring out at you, right? Like, Absolutely. You, That's the you, thing I love about it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, that's the thing I love about these is there's there's such a genuineness about them, um, and it's it, the very last one I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you is is so classic in this regard. Just it's they they don't try to clean it up. They just they just write it like they would have spoken it, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it just you know there's just this kind of raw emotion in some of it. Um, to where they're they're not trying to be articulate necessarily. Now the the one lady with the chain link fence and, and all that, you know, talking about um, the the smell and all that stuff. There there were some kind of cool uh, lines in that, but um, a lot of these it's just really emotional writing. Um, and yeah, that that does kind of jump out at me. Um, I think that's that's cool. Um, all right, so another one. Is it okay if I'm just kind of oh, yeah. jamming through these? Okay. I'm just kind of sitting back. I, I didn't mean for this to turn into the David Hour. But, um, <laughs> That's the, um, what it is. <laughs> um, so this one is um, along the Little P.D. River. Okay, This is this is a name that I'm used to saying because I went to P.D. Academy um, between Marion and Mullins, South Carolina. 
Um, and people always laugh at that. My kids think that PD is funny, but it's actually an old um, Indian name. But at any rate, this how um, do you is this that occurred, how does it how's it spelled or is it just P- PD? P E E D E E. Okay. So it looks yeah. as ridiculous as it sounds. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you, you just can't get around it. You know. Um, that, that's yeah, on people, signage and everything. When you go down oh, yeah, that direction, yeah. you, that's everywhere. Hmm, yeah. PD. But it, yeah. if you, you get around it by saying, "Oh, I went to PDA." Um, <laughs> Academy. Um, but at any rate, this sighting is cool because it, it's between, it's on, along the little PD River um, as opposed to the big PD River. There's a big one too. Um, and this is between Marion and Mullins. Um, and Marion and Mullins are sort of these Mayberry type towns in South Carolina, maybe 15 minutes from each other, um, kind of like the Twin Cities of, <laughs> of um, Horry County um, or Marion County. I guess. Um, but anyway, Marion is it stands out to me because I've lived there for about 15 years. Um, and so it's one of those towns where nobody knows where it is, but everybody goes through it on the way to Myrtle Beach. So if you say, oh, I live near Myrtle Beach, oh, okay. Um, anyway, this person says, um, as I was traveling along one of the many shortcuts I had found, um, oh, I'm sorry, this is from 1998 um, and near, near Mullins. Um, as I was traveling along one of the many shortcuts, I had found, I had just passed the Little PD River. Um, I noticed there was a dog, what I thought was a dog, in a ditch. As I approached, the animal turned and looked at the car, and I immediately knew that this was no dog. Um, it was stooped over the ditch, maybe eating a deer carcass or some other roadkill. Um, when I, I don't know why they assumed that. I thought that was cool. Um, when, it, <laughs> when it turned, there were a couple of things I noticed first. Its face almost looked like an orangutan. Um, there was no fur on the face, and it had lips with no real shape to them. The mouth was wider than a man's. Lips were pursed together and very narrow. Its head seemed wider than normal, with scraggly fur on top. Its fur had an orange-brown tint to it. Uh, and again, that, that whole orangutan kind of look. Um, I did not get a chance to look at it in full length. Um, and what it is is the, the thing is standing in a ditch, evidently eating on the side of the, of the ditch like a roadkill buffet, sort of. Um, the chest was much larger than the rib midsection. Uh, the arms were very long. There's again that the, ar- the long arms. And what appeared to be fingers were curled up in its palms, uh, therefore making me believe it was some sort of ape that maybe walked on all fours like a chimpanzee. Um, it was covered from head to toe um, with this orange-brown fur. So again, that's you know another um, case where you have a really consistent and this is, what, nine years or so before the, the previous one, um, but that, that sort of orangey-type color and the long arms and all, um, that to me that kind of consistency you know, is something to consider. Um, another one is back from uh, 1974. Um, this is near Myrtle Beach. Can um, I can I interrupt you yeah. real quick? Yeah, sure. That area where you were just talking about, well, and I guess this one too, if they're both kind of in that Myrtle Beach area. Um, yeah. Is I mean, how how much has that landscape changed in thirty some odd years? You know, forty years. I mean, is it is their development expansive development? Is it slower only, to develop there? Only um, you know, within well nearer the beach. You know, there's mm. there's lots of little developments and stuff. Um, but there's still a lot of um woodland and swamp and all that um back there. Um. I was going somewhere else with that, but I lost it. But um, but yeah, it's it's fun, you know, like as far as the landscape, it, it has developed quite a bit. 
Um, but and and unfortunately, that sort of central Myrtle Beach um, has developed or, or degraded in some sense. Because um, I used to, when I was younger, I would just drive there and wander around, you know, with no fear, you know. But um, my children um, actually call it Murder Beach now um, because it's it's a sort of scary place to go. <laughs> um, yeah, it can. Be you know, Myrtle Beach is kind of southern and northern ends are still sort of places you could take your family and hang out. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, so this other um, account is from April 1974 in Myrtle Beach. Um, there used to be an Air Force base there. Um, since it's it's closed down, but um, there was a security officer at the Air Force base. Um, he says, I was patrolling on a, a security road called the Serpentine about 9, 8, 9 p.m. That just sounds cool. Uh, I saw this creature mid-stride um, just as it was about to leap over a ditch by the roadside. Um, it made the jump about three seconds. The creature had light brown fur covering its body. Um, in the follow-up investigation, he mentions that it has sort of a sandy brown coloration, so it's still kind of consistent with that orangey type of color we've seen um, he says, as I had been trained to report situations of any creature of any nature as correctly as possible, I believe that the following information is fairly correct. Uh, the creature stood about seven to eight feet tall and probably weighed about 400 to 450 pounds. For its size and obvious weight, it had remarkable agility and speed. Um, the jump it made cleared 14 to 16 feet with no problem. Um, it had a large body like a human covered with fur. Um, and again, you know, the uh, one thing that is cool about this is you know we've got someone that's trained to notice details um, and so that's that's cool uh, another thing is that he says later that he contacted his supervisor and told him about it and the supervisor was like you know for your, the sake of your career you don't you don't want to talk about this you know um, and so I thought that was kind of interesting so he, he kind of had to keep it under his hat yeah so yeah and uh, I'm I am really curious about that development thing, especially in South Carolina, because I noticed when I went to Hilton Head a few years ago that it seemed like there was a, a way more development that I remembered from when I was kind of you know a kid, I guess, and had been down in that area. And it seems like those little coastal towns just expand outward. Yeah. Um, and it just you know a lot of that forest is getting overrun, I guess, with and Homes. There, there are places like, um, you know, Hilton Head has really strict mm-hmm. restrictions about what you can do and what color your signs can be and that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, sort of Myrtle Beach is kind of like anything goes. Right. Um, and it's it, they haven't sort of maintained um, that kind of bucolic nature that that had 50 years ago or so. Right, right. But I feel like I I'm in Myrtle Beach. I, I, you know, grew up in and around there and I love it, but it's... It's not the same place it was when I grew up. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mark. Oh, no, no. Well, just, you know, and having said that, though, I mean, once you get away from the coast, it uh, spreads out pretty quickly as far as, um, you know, available land and lots of it. Because yeah. having just stopped in Bishopville recently, you know, part of right. that is you're driving over the swamp. Right. And at first you <laughs> think, okay, we're going to drive over the swamp for a little bit. But then you just keep going and going, right. and it continually, you know, just 
acres upon acres of swampland. So there's and, um, there's plenty of it still to this day as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know we don't you know we go to somewhere like Myrtle Beach or one of these kind of resort areas, and you know you kind of hang out where there's a McDonald's and a Papa John's and and all these mm -hmm. you know buildings that you people stay in and all that, and you know. It, it seems like it's all cluttered, and it sort of is, but then, you know, five minutes down the road, it's, you know, this expansive nature, you know. Um, when I was in college, I worked for the, um, the agricultural department you know, for two summers, and we, um, we would go out, and we, um, our job was to look for this thing called witchweed, which is this little red flower that evidently stunts the growth of corn. <laughs> and so our job was to go look for this flower in cornfields and all. Um, it was not a hard job. Um, it, was, it was a good way to earn money. But, um, but we were given, the cool thing about this is we were given these um, big aerial photos of the areas. Um, and Martin, just like you were saying, you know, you'd have this little town, and, you know, these were taken from airplanes. And so you'd have miles and miles and miles, and these, these maps were like three or four feet long. And, you know, you'd have, there's, there's so much woods and, and swamp and all. And it was really kind of cool to see. Uh, exactly what you were saying, you know, you've got these real dense, not dense, but lots of people in one little area, but then acres and acres and acres of swamp, you know, that can't be built on, you know, maybe a road through it, but that's about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's such an interesting state anyway, um, terrain-wise, and I mean, just the way it's laid out, There's there are parts of it that are, you know, obviously a little more like North Carolina where you get into the mountains and stuff like that, but it's yeah. also just... I mean, it's like, it's, whenever I go there, I am automatically in this mindset that it's like pirate times and <laughs> I mean like Blackbeard's hiding in a cove somewhere and I mean, that's just like the mindset. There's this atmosphere to South Carolina that I adore. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's probably one of my favorite places in America. I, I love living here. It's, um, it's fun. It's, it's cool. There's, um. You know, there's, there's, as far as being outside, you know, you could go to the beach or you can, you know, go west and find a mountain. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the one drawback is probably the humidity and the mosquitoes. Um, those are kind of rough. But um, other than that, it's... See, uh, I, I think that's why the uh, that, that southern Bigfoot is so nasty. I mean, they say he's, he's really angry. I think it's probably the heat and the the mosquitoes. He's just you know That's running around swatting. Yeah, a hairy animal. It's yeah, sweaty happy. hairy animal. Yeah. That's why he's they're mad at yeah. the world. <laughs> what did um, I do to lonely, deserve this? Too, yeah. Sure. Um, that, okay, that's, they, that's something to talk about, though. I, I I haven't seen many reports from down there of multiple creatures. It's typically a lone creature, road crossing kind of thing. Um, whereas in reports, not not all the time, but you get these like Minerva Monster and and reports like that where you see where you're hearing accounts of multiple creatures. These classic Southern Bigfoot reports, it's always just one, right? Yeah, and I was surprised to see how many there were at all because I, you, you never hear about that around here. It's not like in you know Washington State or Ohio where they're seen all the time. You know, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I guess it's too hot, so they don't come down here. <laughs> um, Avoid it. So um, the other three are from Berkeley County, which is the county where I live, 
Um, and this is uh, from October 2004 uh, from Cordsville, which I'd never heard of. I had to look up to see where it was. It's actually about 27 miles from where I'm sitting right now. Um, and this is a case where they just saw a creature running across on all fours. Um, <laughs> and um, let's see where... Um, he said, I believed it to be a Bigfoot on all fours. Um, and it says later in the follow-up, several witnesses have described seeing Sasquatches running briefly on all fours before standing erect um, and continuing on two legs. Um, these observations usually involve younger ones, but not always. Curiously, they most often happen in the context of a road crossing, a road crossing sighting. Um, I, d I don't know. I, I've, I've never thought of Bigfoot kind of, you know, going on all fours through the woods, but um, I don't know. Maybe the road hurts his feet or something. There aren't many reports of it, but they're out there. Um, yeah. I always think it's interesting. It it I don't I don't know, Mark. The all fours thing. I feel like this is something at some point we should talk about on the show. Yeah. Like well, when, and I also think, for whatever reason, lately I've heard more of that just over the last couple of years than in many years combined before that. It just the behavior is either being observed more or mm -hmm. I don't know what el what other alternative there would be to that. But yeah, that there's a show in that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um I have nothing to contribute about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm an English guy, I don't know. Um, so this other one is there there's just another one, I won't read this one, but there it's it's just somebody saw a a creature going um across the road from left to right in one leap. Um, I picked this one out just because it actually happened about five miles from my house. Um, there's a there's what's called the Francis Marion National Forest about six miles up the road uh, from where I am now, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes uh, for hours until you get mm -hmm. to to Marion. And um, so there's there's lots of um, you know it's it's like a preserve or whatever. So, um, but when, one of the funny things about it, the guy said, um, at first I thought it was a hunter, um, and then I thought it might be a weird person following me or something. <laughs> <laughs> I started getting a little worried, and I thought of turning back you know, towards my car. I knew it wasn't a deer because it was on two legs and it left across the trail. It was definitely human, though, and I was a little spooked. Um, the fitting thing about this is that the witness now lives in Florida near the Mayaka State Park. Mm, so nice. um, that, I thought that was cool. That was yeah. cool. Uh, big yeah. mistake, though, moving to Mayaka if they were scared of the other one. I mean, they're mean down there. Too. <laughs> yeah, picture. He's yeah. looking really upset. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I did. Uh, most of these are not not all of them, but a lot of these seem to be roadside or near a road, um, which kind of makes sense because cause of the place, I guess. Because of this South one, Carolina. This um. <laughs> This one is um, not near a road. Um, okay. And this one is the best one of them all. Uh, I saved it for last because it's so good <laughs> for so many reasons. Um, this is from July 1993. Um, this is in Dorchester County, um, so which is, according to my wife, is squatchy. Um, this is near Pineville. I'm not exactly sure where that is. Um, but it's, it's evidently near Dorchester County, but it's in Berkeley County, which is my county. But anyway. This starts, um, first of all, I don't believe in Sasquatches. 
Uh-oh. Second is spelled the number two and then N-T, which is awesome. <laughs> um, my granddad used to tell... Isn't that awesome? Um, my granddad used to tell us stories of a bear or something that looked like... or tell us stories of a bear or something that looked like one. My grandma uh, would tell him to stop because it would scare me so. So right there you've got this great kind of backstory of folklore and all this. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, so this group goes to the secluded area to camp, evidently where the granddad had said there's a bear or something. Um, he says the Santee Lake and around it is swampy and the lake is full of stumps, a lot of moss and in the trees. It's a very beautiful place to go but not Um, when the water comes out of the dam, I don't know what this means. Uh, when the water comes out of the dam, it is spit into by an island. Um, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> Probably split, but, maybe split into. May, maybe so. Um, yeah, that makes more sense. Hard. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm Just grading slightly. a freshman paper here. Um, <laughs> I have never been on that island. It is very swampy and full of snakes. My uncle still hunts on it, though. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm telling you this. He has. He's the only one who didn't laugh at me. You name it, it's on the island. Snakes, wild hogs, deer, lots of deer. Many say um, they've, they've seen beer and gator, bear and gators. I'm now saying there's something that walks on two legs and is not a bear. I love that. It's a wonderfully ominous sentence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know I'm not going to make a big story out of this. I'm just going to tell you what happened, um, which is a great disclaimer. Um, so they're sitting around and they hear something throwing things into the water nearby um, and he would take his light and shine it down the river and when he did that the noise would stop but if he took his light away they would start throwing stuff on, uh, in the water um, so everything is fine for about 30 minutes then I mean deer were jumping into that river like crazy um, I have to admit I was getting a little nervous he said, then it happened. Something was coming up that cliff, and I mean it was breaking branches, and you could hear dirt falling around from the weight of it. There's no way a deer can climb that bank. It was getting closer and closer, and I don't know what this says, what means either. It didn't take but one what out of her to get me <laughs> in my truck looking for my gun. Couldn't <laughs> find it, and I was yelling at her, asking, where's my gun? She didn't know. Um, so they jump into the car to leave. And then there's this neat detail. He says, you know, he didn't want to leave because he grew up there and this was his place and he felt like it had been intruded on by this creature so he wanted to find and um, he says God is my witness and her Uh, this was no bear the thing was maybe seven or eight feet tall uh, and big hairy and wet it didn't stand straight like you and me um, but it had more of a slump from the waist up it had the reddest eye not looking, moving at all, just standing there. Oh, my God, my granddad was telling the truth after all, which is this awesome affirmation of this whole folklore, you know, that his grandmother was like, don't tell the kids, you know. And, you know, it's it's like this moment, you know, where he realizes his granddad was, was not telling the truth. No. Um, he says, the next day we saw these footprints that were bigger than mine. I saw the cliff and all the broken branches and the dirt that was dug out from it. And he talks later about, uh, we smelt an awful smell, and I just point this out because this is a neat detail. Um, we smelled an awful smell, like dead fish or an animal. Uh, it could have been just a change in the wind from the river. And what he's referring to there is there's a saying that 
South Carolina has this own its own smell. Um, and if the if the wind's coming from the south, then it's the low tide. Um, but if it's coming from the north, then it's the paper mill in Georgetown. <laughs> either way, South Carolina has its own distinct flavor. Um, drops. Uh, fish get stuck in the pools and on the rocks. Um, the water dries out and the fish die and stink, uh, which I thought was just this great little detail, you know. Um, but that is my, my personal favorite of all these, um, just because the the uh, realization that this story that his grandfather had told him was um, evidently true. Yeah. Uh, and just the... Just begs to be read, you know. Um, it's awesome. Your yeah. your eye for these little storytelling ticks is is fantastic. It's that's what I love about citing reports too. It's what always draws me to specific ones over others. Right. Yeah, I'd, I would prefer them sort of speak in their dialect or write in their dialect than try to be necessarily scientific or articulate about it. You know, it's, right. it makes it a lot more fun to read. I love it. Right. Um, that might uh, be that might be kind of a segue to a question I really want to ask you, David, okay. at this point, which is you had mentioned early on that Bigfoot serves or Sasquatch or the hairy man serves as a, you know, it says something about our culture. And I guess the question I want to ask you is, in your opinion, what does what function does Bigfoot serve in our culture today? Well, Ivan Sanderson had um, three different reasons for Bigfoot and stuff like that. Um, one of them was um, he called the bugbear. Um, it serves the purpose of teaching a moral story. You know, it's like the don't go out in the woods or Bigfoot's going to eat you. Stay in the yard or you'll get in trouble kind of thing. And so there's this this um, sort of moral element to it. You know, it's, it's the scary thing that's going to happen to you if you misbehave. Um, another one was the... Um, what he called the uh, the grooming hypothesis, um, where he he talks about how primates will you know pick bugs off of each other and kind of groom each other, and that creates a society among them because they have this shared need for each other. And he said that often these stories, um, like stuff about Bigfoot and all, um, pulls everybody together. Um, it, that a common belief creates solidarity. Um, so there's another one, and uh, what's the third one? Uh, there's a third one that escapes me right now. Um, if I think of it, I'll come back to it. But um, okay. the so that's what Ivan Sanderson said. Um, but I, for me, um, you know, again, it's if it was just a bunch of stories, it would be like, oh, that's a charming, interesting story about a monster, you know. Um, but to take that and add it to scientific evidence that we have, empirical evidence. And then take that and add it to witnesses that, you know, at least the credible ones, and there's a bigger picture there, you know, and that it's you have, you know, these these sort of cultural stories that serve a function of of either scaring children into submission or um <laughs> or just being some kind of you know mirrored psychological kind of thing, um you know mirroring the darker self or whatever you know and and all these kind of abstract maybe cultural functions that it might play, but then, you know, you it's that that idea is sort of complicated by um, having evidence that it's an actual creature, you know, 
And so it's not as simple as what a neat story. It's, well, it's based on this actual thing that's standing outside the fence watching you, you know. Hmm. I don't uh, know if I answered the question. But... Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about this lizard guy. Uh, I believe his name is the lizard guy out of Bishopville, South Carolina. And this is Mark just got back from a trip down there. Um, which we talked about. Andy was drinking beer or something. <laughs> for the record, for the Cheer record, cheer wine is a soft drink. It is. So please don't write in taking <laughs> yeah. me to task. I do want to know what it, I've heard. Cheer wine is it? It's it's. I yeah. mean, and I grew up traveling down there, and for some reason, I don't know what cheer. It's like just a soft drink. It's like a beverage. It's a yeah. carbonated, like carbonated, okay, dairy flavored type of drink. Um, okay. Have you ever had Fago Rock and Yes. Rye? Yes. It's somewhat like that. Is it like Ale Eight? I mean, is it like just a really strong ginger ale? No. Well, but it's more more of a berry. Okay. Flavor. Oh, I wouldn't like, like it then. Cherry anyway. berry. Okay. Often yeah. mixed with other things. From what I understand. <laughs> 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 uh, that explains a lot. Um, <laughs> All right, so Mark, I'm going to let you take this segment while we talk about lizard, lizard guy, lizard guy. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I would say that uh, the thing that strikes me about Bishopville is how ordinary it is. Once you pull off of the expressway, it, in many ways, is the epitome of small town South Carolina, and there are just a few. Uh, touchstones that show how they have embraced the lizard man uh, as a a tourist attraction, I suppose, even to the point where it's included in the uh, Cotton Museum that's there in Bishopville. And there's a corner of the museum that's devoted to uh, tracks and T-shirts and little stuffed uh, lizards. And, you know, they, they certainly have seized on it as a way of attracting attention to the larger culture because it's not the lizard man museum it's the cotton museum so right. they they've they've wisely co-opted that as a way of um, you know expanding a, the knowledge of the uh, the larger culture of the state just today um, when i got home i um turned on the television and i was watching the monsters and mysteries in america and there was an episode um, about the reptile man of South Carolina, um, oh. which I had never heard it called the reptile man. I guess lizard man was not as sexy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but the the funny thing, I've got um, I've got four or five articles here from 1988, um, and there's just a couple of things about the. I, you know, I'm sure you guys probably know more about this than I do, and certainly somebody like Lyle Blackburn. Um, you know, offered a lot more than I ever could, but just some stuff that jumped out at me about this that I thought was awesome. Um, one is um, the the article from uh, September 1890, uh, July 18, um, 1988, calls it uh, South Carolina swamp slob. I've yes. never heard. I've never heard, and I haven't read awesome. um, Lyle's book, so I, I'm sure this is stuff you already know, but. Um, so I thought that was awesome, I, and you know, I was, I grew up, you know, an hour or so from this place, maybe not even an hour, you know, and so I remember when all this happened, um, 
And I remember just thinking, oh, this. And it was, you know, a, a hot topic, you know. Um, but a couple of things that I found just little idiosyncratic things. Um, and, you, and you might know this already, but Scape or Swamp mm-hmm. um, was once called Escaped Whore Swamp. Yeah. Did we, okay. So there are we, a, are we in, road. how far are we from Horry County? From, from there. From Horry County? Um, uh, let's see, Marion is in Marion County. Um, it's adjacent, I believe, to Horry County. Okay. Um, nah, hourish, something okay. like that. Okay, yeah. All right, so when you saw Escape Horse Swamp, did that kind of you got excited though to bring up the the Hori joke again? That we... Oh, you know, I didn't even make that connection. But isn't there? there I, I'm so disappointed in myself that I didn't think of the joke before I got on here for that. Um, can we edit that out? So that I can come we'll up? we'll figure something out. We'll do we'll do some like uh, what do they call that when you go back afterward? Eight is that the A A V or whatever when you're doing a movie edit, you know, and you, you re-record audio afterward. We'll do that. After after we <laughs> shut down and close down the live broadcast, we'll record like a whole bunch of hilarious stuff. I'm going to cut out everything that I'm saying right now. It's going to be like 20 minutes of us, and there'll be like a laugh track, and oh, it's going to be great. So um, the escape tour was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what else? Um, talk about swamps Articles talks about one of the deputies says, um, "Looks like we got a Bigfoot on our hands," uh, which I thought was cool because like the default term is Bigfoot, even if it's a reptile with three toes. You know, there's another one that says, um, "One of the officers says, um, I don't believe it's a lizard man. I think it's just a Bigfoot." And so, so that yeah. you know, that's sufficient to explain what's going right. On. Of course, but, um, and and that's <laughs> not anything to worry about. A, a lizard man might be a problem, but it's a, right. <laughs> as long as he's not one of those grumpy ones from Gory County. Right. Yeah. But, um, but anyway. Uh, Lizard Man is strange. It's a it's the the book by Lyle Blackburn. I would highly recommend. And we've talked about. I, I feel like we talk about Lizard Man like every every episode anymore. Um, but I'm contractually obligated to mention <laughs> Lizard Man. He will not go away. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and I sent you that. I sent you guys that article today. Yeah. Um, that um, I had I had forgotten about that. Um, I've got a subscription to um, College of Charleston magazine. Um, just because I, cause I'm an alumni from there. The guy that went there, um, Westerfeld House, I think is his name. Um, and I, I know him. He, he wouldn't know who I was if I ran up and hit him in the face. But, um, but I remember getting that issue. Um, I think it was maybe four. Decided to try to look it up today um, to see if I could pull up a, a um, an internet version of it, and actually ended up finding it. And then the little video that went along with it that I sent to you guys. So I thought that was a neat, um, a neat story. Yeah, because um, well, it really, really painted a picture. Um, one of the cool things about that article. Is Um, you know, all these interesting people. 
All right, we're going to have to start to wrap up here. So, David, why don't we have you tell us what you have coming up? I know you said you, you might be working on a book. Is there anything definitive in the works in that direction? Um, just a bunch of notes at this point. Um, the, the majority of my research lately has been more Ph.D. and cultural history oriented um, with the Victorian period and all, and I'm, I'm sort of pulling Um, no. sort of this treatment of, of monsters and all, and it, it started out as this, you know, it's going to book um, with the background of a consideration of how monsters received and all that, taking the presentation that's going to be in Ohio. Um, that will give me a good sort of um, outline for the book, um, okay. and it'll it'll kind of give me and maybe it's people's reactions to it, you know, and I'll see what what works and what doesn't, and see what people have to say about that. So, um, so yeah, that's okay. and sort of uh, May sixteenth, Ohio Bigfoot Conference, Salt Fork State Park. David will be speaking. Um, do you have a name for this presentation? Are you allowed to even say that? Um. Mark has not told me I couldn't, but it's um, Bigfoot and it's Similar's Manifestations of a Mystery. Nice. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> those, those academic titles have to work hard. You know, they say. Yeah. One yeah. other cool thing, um, we're actually in the process of adopting a little girl from China. And um, so we are going to China probably in June for about two weeks. And... I don't know if I'll be able to, but I want to try so hard to air into people. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'd be great. It would be. And have you heard anything about the air by the you know, so, um, so who knows? We'll see what this American That's awesome. can do over there. We'll see. <laughs> Solve the mystery. All right, yeah. David, thanks so much for joining us. Thank and you so we'll much. definitely, yeah, we'll have you on again real soon, hopefully. Great. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at SethBreedsLove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Mm-hmm.